The Recovery First podcast is a podcast that helps highlight local initiatives in Greenville, South Carolina, and as well as on a national stage in the recovery communities. Here you will hear a wider range of topics surrounding addiction, recovery, and amazing advocates helping to make a difference in the recovery space. If you or a loved one are struggling with substance use disorder, please contact us today by calling 864-787-3798 or by visiting www.freedomrecoverycenterofgreenville.org. Now let's get ready to hear another amazing podcast with your host, Mike Todd. I'm here tonight with my good friend, Chakesha K. Ellis. She is from the organization Chase No More. She's author of the book, A Life of Chaos, which I want to tell you I read and I love it, and is a national advocate for those suffering from mental illness and substance use disorder. It is so good to see you. It is so good to see you. I love you more than fried chicken, (laughs) macaroni and cheese, and collard greens. Listen, let me tell you something. I I eat, I I have a weakness, and it is fried chicken. I will admit that. (laughs) But no, listen, I'm so glad that you're on here because and, and there's no there's no shame in this. This is in your story. You lost your hearing um, to substance use disorder, to opioid yep. addiction. Yep. And so last the last time we were on, we were having trouble getting you hooked up. But I, let's both give kudos to our wonderful producer, Todd Widows. Todd Widows. <laughs> and he got he got you going and um so here you are, and I keep up with you. Uh, so, got some questions for you. Yes, I'm already. <laughs> best I can be. Tell us, tell us, where did where did you grow up, and what was it like growing up, Chikisha? Hmm. So I grew up in a small town in Pennsylvania, and I basically had a great upbringing. I had a a pastor dad. And a mom, that's the first lady. We grew up in a great home. I had chores. I had curfews. I had to earn everything I got. Mm-hmm. Me and my siblings had to wake up on Saturday mornings. And before we watched the soul train, we had to clean the whole house. <laughs> we had responsibilities. We had accountability. So I grew up in a great home. And, um, you know, my mom... My mom and dad didn't have the perfect relationship, but they basically taught us about faith and Christianity. And um, we grew up in a Pentecostal religion, in a Pentecostal church. I was a little girl on the front front rows of the pews with the baldies in her oh, hair and the stockings and the ruffled dresses. I was her. So my childhood was great. I had a great childhood, a great upbringing with values and morals. My mom is strict, like really. My grandmother was um, my mom's mom was very strict. Um, we just grew up very structured, not like this generation. Well, and Chikisha, I, I read your book and I, 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 re- I love the book because it's, it's, it's short, it's sweet, and it's to a point. 
that anyone can suffer from substance use disorders, just like you're saying. I mean, you grew up. You, I didn't grow up that way. I mean, I, I my, my dad was a, a drug runner and all this stuff and in and out of prison. So I didn't I didn't I, I had a separate a very separate upbringing. But it just tells you that that, that there's no discrimination that this can affect anyone and that was one of the things when i read your book i was like oh my gosh i mean or it's just like what you were saying uh her dad was a pastor I, I, mom was like you said they a first lady uh pentecostal my and and i think about my i see my wife she she always watches the recordings but i see her on here she got a lot of her values chakisha because she was her grandmother was Pentecostal, and she yeah. spent a lot of time with her grandmother. And the cool thing about it is it's like, you know, I I have to work on my spiritual principles. Hers are just kind of built in, like she learned them from her grandmother. But I get that from you, too. I mean, you, you grew up in a very, very, it just sounds like a good family. It's like you said. I mean, we, but, we, but I got to tell you this. We both grew up watching Soul Train. Because... Yeah. <laughs> listen, 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 I gotta tell you this. Like, like white kids growing up, <laughs> that's how we learned how to dance. <laughs> we would have we would have dances, right? And that's how we that's how we everybody learned. I'll be like, man, where does it you you gotta watch Soul Train? But yeah, so but it's so so tell me um tell me about that moment where you said, like, I got to do something different. Like, how did you get into recovery? I, I guess, and if you would tell us, and, and I think I got a little bit ahead of myself. I, I'm going to throw another kind of question at you here. Okay. What, what was that? What happened that, like, spiraled you? Because I read your book. I know that I know the answer to this question, but I want our audience to know this. Like, what happened that got you into addiction? Can you tell us about that? Yep. Yeah. So um, I had a turning point, and I call it an aha moment. Mm -hmm. So aha moment is a moment that you get seconds to make a choice about what you want to do, whether you want to live or die. So I got this this state this this aha moment from Oprah Winfrey. Really. Oprah Winfrey went to, so I love her. I follow her and she's one of my inspirational people because she came from so many things and she basically talks about aha moments. Yeah. And that's a moment where you just realize that you have to choose life at that moment or what you want to do. And it has nothing to do with um, calling somebody on the phone and saying, um, I need a babysitter or can you get my kids? God will work it out because that was my higher being. But I realized that at the height of my addiction in 2009, I was taking 35 pills a day. And I tell people this everywhere I go. And they look at me and be like, how? People are so uneducated about addiction. They think it has to do with how you look and your body's weight and all those different things. But it has nothing to do with that. It has to do with your body's tolerance. And for me, the more pills I took, the more I needed after that knee surgery in 2000. In 2009, I was sitting in my truck 
the DEA was looking for me because they thought I was running a prescription drug ring because yeah. I was forging prescriptions. I was doing illegal things and I wasn't buying no pills off the street. I was doing everything through pharmacies and doctors and I was forging prescriptions and all kinds of illegal things. So I was popping up in the radars for the, for the DEA. And, and, but <clears throat> excuse me, I want to back up, but uh, just back up. It was caused by a, kind of a minor, I won't say, it was kind of a minor accident. You you came out, you were a school teacher, right? So here I was you a school teacher, yep. I worked for social services of Pennsylvania because I was living in Philly and I had a great job and I fell and I wound up um, having to get surgery for a very bad meniscus tear in my left knee. Okay, I and thought it was your ankle, but I read your book. I thought it was your ankle, knee. it was your yep. knee. Okay, because you fell, there was ice or something. You just came out of the school one day and you fell. Is that right? Did I, 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 I was I was leaving a client and I fell down some some steps filled with leaves. And after mm -hmm. that, I left okay. it for like months and I wound up realizing that I had to get surgery and I had never gotten any procedures or surgeries done. So I was scared and I was just like, okay, you know, what's going to happen from here? But I, this was in 2000. This is before the oh, this is this is the very beginning of the opioid crisis in the country. Like it was, That's people right. were smoking crack cocaine. It was still um, a crack epidemic at that time. So at that time, no, everybody was just like, okay, you can get a prescription to get these pills, and you and you're feeling great on them. And I was one of those people, and I didn't know what I was dealing with. Chikisha. It, what we, and and just for and I, and I think I remember this, but what was your initial just to get people to understand this? What do you you remember what your initial prescription or prescription was? That, yes. Tell me, tell me what it was. So when I first got the surgery, it was like I I remember it being Halloween. It was fall. The leaves out. It was chilly. My best friend picked me up from the hospital with prescriptions in my hand in the wheelchair and took me home to my house in Northeast Philadelphia. They had a beautiful condominium. Um, and I was like, okay, so we have to get my prescriptions filled. So we went to the pharmacy, we got my prescriptions filled, and they gave me 120 hydrocodone Lorset, which is very similar to Percocet, which is oxycodone. So hydrocodone and oxycodone are very similar medications that bind to the receptors in your brain and they take away all the pain. They make you forget everything. Yeah. And I mean, they gave you 120 watt right off, yes. right off the rip. And it was, and it, and it was just, it just so happened that you were just allergic to this. You took one and it was like, and, and it led to, of course, like, losing your hearing and and all taking, at the height of my addiction i was taking i went from taking one every four to six hours to two to three every four to six hours to four to five this is over a nine-year period of time and like i said i suffered in silence i didn't have someone that could that could advocate for me and and, and explain to me that getting sick off of this medication was actually called a withdrawal. I didn't know this. This was in the early 2000s and it really wasn't an epidemic. So people were just like, the doctors were just prescribing it and it was giving out so liberally. And the brutal withdrawals is what made me want more. I didn't want to be sick. 
that was a twist. It, yeah, and and so it, and it's crazy. So you so you get this. I mean, it's not a it, you get this injury. You fall on your knee. I guess you broke your knee or something. I tore my meniscus. Okay, which is which is that's kind of major. I mean, that's 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 a tough injury from from what you're telling me. But a lot of athletes sustain that injury. Basketball players and different type of athletes. Right, right, and so. <laughs> And so you, so you go from being a, a school teacher to falling on your knee to 120 opioid tablets, but, you know. I mean, and then you show up on the DEA list, and then yep. you lose your hearing. Yes, I, I mean it was. It is. I mean, I mean it's just it's such a picture. I mean, because for me, I'm old, right? We talk about that. You see the gray hair. I'm old. I mean, I grew up in the crack epidemic. You know, I mean, I went through that. But this is such a a snapshot. It really is a snapshot of what, <clears throat> excuse me, what was happening to people. It really was. But so you end up on the you end up on the DEA list. They're looking for you. Again, you end up losing your hearing. You 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 have a, a you struggle with um, Houston. I think you got pregnant during that period of time. And after I got, after I went through my recovery. The first year of my recovery, I um, can't expect it with Houston. Yeah, um, I lost my hearing in two thousand and nine, and then in two thousand and ten, I found my higher being, and I realized that I was going to die. Like I I, I, I fight so hard. But people are recovering because I didn't have that. And and people are in silence. I know people that got corporate jobs, great kids in college, beautiful cars, beautiful homes, and they are sick in the morning going through rituals from not having an opioids and they don't understand what it is. So I, I said to myself, I'm, I'm going to get off of this. I'm going to find a strip and do this. And I realized that I had to revert back to my, my upbringing, my, my religion. Yeah. Faith in God. I had, to, I had to revert back to that to get off of these drugs. And with my parents, I got clean in 2010. Um, I, I text my mom. I was like, Mom, I can't do this no more. My mom and, and my dad passed away in 2017, right? Yeah. But he was a bishop. He was well respected. He was like the head of the churches of Christ written in heaven. It's like a whole umbrella of churches all over the South. So when I started going through that process, my dad and my mom was like, we're going to put you on a prayer list. So I had people pray for me all over. And I know that prayer changes things because that that's only in my religion. I, I know that I, I support many pathways to recovery. But in 2010, I, I realized I was dying. I was 97 pounds. I saw pictures. I, was, I saw pictures, Chikisha. I, I did. And it's like, oh, my well, gosh. And you look so beautiful and healthy. And 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 I want to ask you this. Um, and I want to say this too. One thing that I really love about you is you just don't you like you go. I, I love that you go to grocery stores. Like it's because a lot of people that struggle with substance use disorder and mental illness, they they struggle to even say it. And you don't care. I love the way you set up your little. Like you'll go to a 
Kroger or something. And you'll mm-hmm. give out in a lock zone and you'll just talk to people and you'll give out your books and you'll tell your story and you'll give out your phone number. And I love that. I just think that's amazing. I do want to ask you, though, you were talking a little bit about your pathway to recovery and, and you mentioned it. And I think you did you, what you're saying is that you you went you came back you know to god you came back you know to your parents and said i need help i you know and i see um i see the little doll that houston has that's like modeled after <laughs> modeled after your dad it's so cool and yep. but, but what are, are there are there things that you do every day i know that your pathway is a spiritual uh, it's the, uh, it, you know, it's Christian following Jesus. Yes. That's wonderful. That's part of my pathway too. Are there things that you do on a daily basis that, to maintain your recovery? Yep. Um, I basically, um, so I always say this, <clears throat> I speak to a lot of colleges and high schools and I tell people recovery is like an onion, right? Yeah. And there's so many layers to it. Okay, and so when you peel away one layer and the next layer is like something else, and you're just like, okay, like, how do I deal with this? So I think that for me, reverting back to my Christian faith and the fact that my dad passed away in 2017, and I was clean for seven years before he passed away. So he saw things in me that I didn't even see. Yeah. My my dad was very, very anointed and and respected and loved all over the world. And so basically, like, he knew things I didn't. And when I first got clean in 2010, he he gave me a book. He gave me a 12-step book. And I, listen, I didn't do the 12-step thing because for me, um, when when I went into recovery in 2010, I was deaf, fully deaf. I didn't have popular implants like I have now. And I didn't have someone that could interpret what they were saying in the meeting. So I I was turned off. I was like, okay, so how am I going to sit in a meeting? And they didn't understand I was losing my hearing. It took me a whole year to go deaf, totally deaf. And I couldn't hear nothing at all. So at that point, I realized that I, I had to have a higher being to get through that because I didn't have someone to say, Oh, here's a, here's a program or um, an interpreter for to hear for this. I didn't have someone do that for me. And this was in 2010. So I had to I had to pull myself together. And I just kept saying, my dad said to me, baby doll, you can get through this, but you have to forgive yourself first. You can't recover fully if you're still carrying that guilt. And when I got through that point, then I was like, okay, I, I started praying, reading my scriptures, and I'm not Listen, I'm not the holiest person that I should be. And there's a lot of things I should be doing right now that I'm not. But I know that I had a higher being and a higher calling and an assignment to do. And yeah. that's why I tell people that was my higher being. We, we Hey, we love our word um, purpose, don't we? We love yes. that word. You and I love that word. And, yes. and it, it, it is. It it. it it's so amazing, though, but you, when you say that, I was going to meetings, but at the same time, everybody didn't know I was going deaf, so you can't, you couldn't, that kind of makes me think, what do we do for people that that need to go to recovery meetings that, oh my God, you just made me think of something, but, and so that was a barrier, but but thank God you had a, somebody strong with spiritual principles in your dad and your parents, 
your family. Like, like I didn't have that, you know. I mean, my family was was torn apart, was in shreds. I mean, it really was. And we really, I'll have to. I mean, we really haven't fully come together. It just, it just didn't happen for us. I mean, because it was. I mean, because I believe the disease of substance use disorder and mental illness. It's like, it's like throwing a bomb on a on a family. It's just, yeah. everybody, everybody just goes everywhere. But so yeah. I, you know, for me. I, I did cling on to, of course, I could hear, right? But I, but I, I did cling on to that recovery family, and that 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 was, I mean, that had to be it for me. But it was wonderful that you had that. That's that's, I love that. That was the pivotal part of my recovery. Period. That was the pivotal part. Like I tell people all the time, Mike, that you can't do this alone. It's not a human experience for a lot of people. You have to have uh, somebody else to say, let me help put you through this next step. You know, let me let me help you get there. Like you just can't look at somebody and be and to be alone to, to recover. I know some people have done that, but I think that the best pathway is to, to reach out. I, I say this like in class, I used to be a school teacher. Raise your hand, put your hand up. Ask for help. Put your hand up and ask for help. It's simple. I am on my social media heavy. I'm reaching out and I'm posting every day, all day. And I tell people all the time, if you do not like positivity, then I'm not the person for you to follow. Because all I'm doing is talking about how to uplift people in this in this time, in this crisis. It's more than just the opioid crisis now, because not only are people addicted to opioids and different drugs, but they are flooded out of their homes. They're in wildfires. They're in hurricanes, earthquakes, gun violence. All types of different things are affecting our communities, and we, you know, the, the opioid crisis had taken the back seat to that. And I'm bringing that back to the hoods because I'm down in the, the trenches in the markets where people got to go eat. So if whether you're going through withdrawal or not, you're going to get up, you're going to take your food stamp card, your EBT card, you're going to go and shop right, and you're going to buy some food for your kids. A lot of people that's not that, you know, down in addiction, going to get up and they're going to buy food. And I'm going to be set up in the front of your markets and I'm going to be there. You're going to see my face. I love that. I I dig that, man. I mean, nobody's really doing that here in Greenville. I mean, because you're right. I mean, we got to go get groceries. And while we're getting groceries, why don't we have something set up for naloxone? Why don't we have people that are in recovery to just give this positive message? Heck, you might be giving me an idea. Maybe I need to do that. Just get a little table, and this is the Recovery First podcast. And listen, I, I and, and just the table in the market, Chakisha. I'll just announce it to the world, man. I'm in recovery. I'm I'm in recovery from substance use disorder and, and mental mm-hmm. illness and everything. And people go because I'm in the South. I mean, like yeah. you know, you know, I'm in South Carolina. I'm in Greenville. Right. South. You know, people go, uh, you know what? Yeah. And mm-hmm. by the way, here's some. Here's naloxone, and let me tell you just uh, the positive things about recovery and this, that, and the other. Because I, I think it's anyway, I love it. And what? But, but let me ask you this: Did you find some? I know you had barriers with your hearing, I, and, and I, I hear that it, it, that touched me because if I can back up a little, I'm probably driving Todd crazy tonight. Because, but, but back in, I mean, but backing up. It, you, you've got me thinking about barriers with people that are 
that struggle with their hearing or, or Spanish speaking, our friend uh, Angelo. It, how do I say his name right? Angelo Laveras. Yeah, that, that really advocate for Spanish. I think about him a lot, Chakisha, because I live in the area where my wife and I live. It is predominantly Spanish. And I, I just wonder, like, is there meetings and there's there's so much that goes through my head that, of course, I have a rec- I, I have a recovery program. But um, but it, it, did you find like barriers being a minority woman in recovery? And did, did, can you can you can you tell us a little bit about that? I think that. <clears throat> first of all, I love Angelo. Yes. Shout out to Angelo. We we just we weren't, we weren't planning on talking about him tonight. He is listen, he is so motivational and he has given me direction before I've spoken with governors and senators, like Angelo is the plug. He's very passionate about what he does. But you know, yeah. I just want to say that when I was going through my recovery, the biggest barrier for me is I went into um a recovery place in North Jersey. And it was one of the worst situations I ever had in my life. And guess what, Todd? What? It was Labor Day weekend. Like, ah. coming up, the year before I got clean, I went into a place in, in North Jersey and I called a friend and I knew I was going to die because I had ran out of my doctors, ran out of scripts. The cops was looking for me. I was losing my hearing. So I was like, Please. it was like the cops in the middle of a high speed chase. But I was just in my own head, like, I got to get, I got to figure this out. I called my friend. I was like, please help me. But I went into a place, right? The biggest barrier for me was my insurance. Like, when you have Medicaid, you get the ba- basic bare minimum. Like, Is that what you had, education was Medicaid? I no. had Medicaid. I was on welfare when I was, when I got clean in 2010. I, had, I didn't have no money. I didn't have no job. I didn't have nothing. I was on welfare. I was getting two ten a month and food stamps. <sighs> and that, that really, and, that, and we got a little bit ahead of ourselves, and that's okay because we are passionate and, and we do have a purpose. And right. and I, I'm so I'm so grateful for that. You bring that out in me and talking about Angelo and um, he he grew up in the he his the height of his addiction was just like mine. We really hit it off at Mobilize Recovery because we come from the and I'm gonna you know what I'm that reminds me I have him on the show and I'm I gonna love talk, him. I'm he gonna talk, so he, we're gonna talk about how the crack cocaine epidemic came about and it's gonna be mm-hmm. interesting but let me ask you this and I mm-hmm. think kind of talked about it I had a question here tell us about what you do with Chase No More and I think we talked about it right you right. set you set up at grocery stores wherever it may be and you tell your story with your head held high yes so right and i again i i love that and i know we got a little bit ahead of ourselves but that was that that's amazing i'm so, so proud of you really quick so i'm working with yeah, well go ahead brown's shop rights stores of pennsylvania so it's a guy named jeff brown he's okay. the author of 12 um shop rights basically there's shop rights all over but the ones he purchased has his name on them they're called brown's shop rights and they are tailored to the inner city communities so they're like a lot of them are in the hoods so i reached out to them and they they, they saw my press kit and they were like oh my god like we would love to have you and and we we appreciate 
platforming you and sharing our platform. So he has 12 stores and I've done four thus far. And I have gave, given out about 65 boxes of Narcan. Naloxone saves lives. Naloxone saves lives. I'm telling you. <laughs> And, you, and, and Keisha, that is exciting. Tell me, lives. Plug, let's plug those folks. Who tell me a little bit about these grocery? They're grocery stores, and it's a gro it's, it's kind of a, a independent grocery store chain. What is the name yep. of this chain again? So the guy name is Jeff Brown. Okay. And so I was there Saturday, right? I had a pop up event there. He lets me set my tables up, and I have all my Narcan the nasal and the intermuscular. I have my books out. I have candy for the kids. When the moms come by, you have a purple lollipop because all my colors is purple for recovery. So so he allowed me to come out to four stores. But I, from, I'm from Philadelphia. So, you know, I grew up in Philadelphia. So a lot of the stores that I picked are in the hoods I was in when I was going through my addiction. So I did um a, um, a location last Saturday. My mom comes out. Houston comes out. Yep. We set, we set up our table, the chairs, and people just like I don't know if it's the branding or my energy, but people walk up, they see the book, they be like, and, and they need to say this time. Yeah. When I, when I went on board with this with Jeff Brown, at first I was like, I wanted to sell my books, but guess what? It's not even about the books That's because right. I give out more than Loxone than I sell books, and that is the main purpose because communities are dying. Like people are just like. Uh, my uncle, he, he he overdosed, but the ambulance took too long to come. If there's a crisis in the community and you dial 911, it depends on what's going on, how fast they're going to get to you. Have that locks on the hand. Chakisha, you're doing more than that. You're, you're, you're giving out hope. But what's the name of the grocery store? It's called Brown's ShopRite's Stores. Brown's ShopRite's. Brown's ShopRite's. They're all over Pennsylvania. He has 12 stores. And I think it's wonderful that Brown's Shop Rights, it's an independent store there in Philly, right? Yeah. New Jersey, but you're right on the line. You're right on the line of Philly and all that, but you go into Philly and you yep. go to these grocery stores. Well, I, you know what? Shout out to Brown's Shop Right in Philly. Yes, Let, me, let me tell you something, man. Y'all are, I'm not going to, I can't say it. Y'all are bad <laughs> butt. <laughs> I love it, man. And so let me ask you this. Um, and I've thought about my wife says I need to write a book and I just don't know if I can. I don't know if I can pull it off. I, what, what was it like to write the book? I mean, you know, was can you kind of like tell us a little bit about that? Yes. So here's my book. There, there it is. A life of chaos. I know it's backwards, but it's OK. <laughs> it's all right. So this book. It's 56 pages long, but let me just tell you something. Yeah. yeah. I, I, my passion developed to write this book over the quarantine because of the 90, over 93,000 deaths, overdose deaths that the United States of America have solved, right? Yes. So I was like, okay, a lot of this is not just from the drugs, it's from all of the other situations that people are dealing with in the communities. So I was like, okay, I'm going to write a book about this. I have to. So I hooked up with a woman. And I love her so much. Guess what, Todd? She's country like you. She's from Chattanooga, Tennessee. Ain't nothing wrong okay. with that, baby. She likes, and I, love her. I guarantee you she likes fried chicken, too. 
And listen, and and I want to say this again, this book, the the thing about this book is you're right. It is, it it, it is, it's 56 pages, not a long book. Right. But the book is, I would love to, there's a lady here. um, There's some organizations here that do a lot with prevention. And I think, I think the book, because you can sit down and read the book in a short period of time. But it really drives home the fact this 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 book is very valuable, guys. And I'm going to tell you why it, it really drives home the fact that anyone can can su- can suffer from substance use disorder. Anyone, she, you know, she grew up in a wonderful, supportive family. Right. She grew Chakisha grew up with a with a, a pastor and in church and and sitting on the front row listening to her to her dad preach. And and, mm-hmm. and 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 thank God that she had that she could come back to that. It's almost like she just came back home. Right. Yes. It, you know, that stole, uh, you know, the substance use disorder stole so much from you, but you could come back home. And I think that was awesome. And home for me was 12 step recovery. I mean, it became my family and, and, and a lot of people, it's a lot of people. In, so I, I totally get that. And so I want to, we talked a little bit um, earlier about Houston and yeah. I love him. He's, he's, he's such a miracle um, yeah. from God. And he, he, and if you, if you don't, if, if you don't follow Chakisha, you should follow her a little bit on Facebook because she's got this precious son that um, that that's part of her story is going through addiction and having Houston and like at a, a gas station or something. I, I can't. You, I'll let you know. It, it, it was in a gas station parking lot in an ambulance. Twenty four weeks gas station. Yeah. And what were some? And, and I know what, I know. There's joys and challenges of being a mom, but I mean, what are what are some of the joys and challenges of being a mom? I mean, let's talk. And let's talk about the miracle of Houston just for a moment. I mean, we just did. I, again, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself with you because that's what we do. We talk a lot, right? But no, I mean, he's such a gift from God because I think. I mean, you really didn't think that he was going to make it, did you? I mean. At all. No. I, I mean, I I had Houston um, not even a year after I got clean. So um, I think it was maybe eleven or ten months after I got clean, right? Yeah. I wound up becoming expectant, and then um, I was forty-one when I had him. So I so I had a lot of risk factors anyway. Like I I was um, recovering from addiction, and I was over forty, which is very high risk. And so I did everything right when I was pregnant with my son. And guess what? His due date was July 7th, right? I had him March the 24th of 2012. So he was very early. And I was in the house, dialing 911 and deaf because I didn't have the cochlear implants at the time. So I was fully deaf. And the ambulance in my condo community came right out. And I was like, I'm having, I was like, my, I was like, I'm on the toilet. I feel like I want to have baby. I don't know what's going on. When I got on the ambulance, I don't have no kids. So I can't, I don't know what it feels like for your water to break. But when my water broke, he came out. And, you know, at first I was like, I was in shock. I was like, 
he was so tiny, but I was like, okay, my baby's coming home. I had him in my bathrobe, a fluffy oh. white secret bathroom. I had my baby in my room, and I was. He was, he was so tiny. How much did I mean? How much did he? He was very premature. It was a, I'm sorry. How, how much? You know, how much do you weigh? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. He was one pound and 10 ounces. One pound, 10 ounces. I've seen pictures of him. And yeah. it's amazing. Like, you didn't even know you were going to have him. Like, it's what you're saying. I, and I, it was I, just. I had a baby shower. I never had, I couldn't do anything. I didn't have a baby shower. And <laughs> <laughs> Houston, excuse, let me tell you this. Houston is named after one of my favorite artists of all times, Whitney Houston. I didn't know. Spelled a little different. H-Y-U-S-T-A-N. Houston. Yeah. Not not like Houston, but anyway. So he's such, and he's such a gift from God. And, and I, I, it's just um, the whole story, your whole story is just really amazing. Um, and to see where you are now. And to see how some, you know, I think what we can learn, we as people in the recovery community can learn from you is hold your head up high, find that grocery store. Like, I'm sure there's not a grocery store, but, you know, like, go out and just tell people your story and give them hope. And you're yeah. right. There's so much going on right now with just disasters and hurricanes and yeah. Afghanistan and everything that's going on right now. People yeah. need to just hear hope. And I would love to see something like, 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 okay, like I'll, I'll admit this. Like I do most of the grocery shopping. Miss Todd does not like the grocery shop. Okay. I do most of, I'm like, oh, I gotta go to the grocery store, you know, <laughs> but to have, you're right. You know, because, oh, God, I got to, you know, I got 20 items on me. I got to, you know, it's, it's such a hassle. But to go there and have somebody just greeting you and saying, hey, let me tell you about, you know, let me tell you about a, a substance use disorder and mental illness. And let me tell you my story. And let me tell you about naloxone. It's just I, I, I can't say it enough. And so let me ask you this. Mm -hmm. 2019. Let's go back to that. Yes, because um, mobilized recovery. I can remember, like, you know, the the applications came in. Yes, and I started looking at it, and I I told my wife, I said, you know, I think I'd like to fill out an apple, you know, fill this thing out. And so she helps me because I don't type good, and um, <laughs> so I'm telling her everything that I'm doing, and I'm like, I I. I don't think I'm going to get picked for this, but I'm going to send the application anyway. And she starts typing everything up and she's like, um, well, uh, Mike, I think you probably, I, th I think you might have a good chance. And I think it was like, um, what was it? There was only like 120 or 150 people out of yeah, it. Was like 100, 100 people that the first, the first year was like a hundred people because it wasn't no virtual, it wasn't no COVID or any of, any of that. Yeah. So there wasn't that you're, you're right. I think there was there was a hundred people. Right. I, because what I think what Ryan wanted to do just to kind of let you guys. So we need it with the opioid crisis. We need it. We need it. National advocacy. 
it's not just that we need it national advocacy, but we need it state advocacy. And we need yeah. it something that Chakisha K. Ellis does very well, which is grassroots community advocacy. We needed all this. And so Ryan Hampton, through a Facebook grant in 2019, you know, got up. I think we ended up with about we ended up with a little more money. We, we had 100 people that got initially and then we brought in about 50 more to yep. start this organization. It's kind of like we were like, we are the world. <laughs> We are the world. That's what we I'm are the world. You know, I mean, but it, it, we're holding hands from state yeah, to state. We're, it connecting. Was, we're connecting. Yeah, it was exciting because it because I you know and 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 I tell you what it did for me, Chakisha. I, I was still, I was I was I, I was still kind of in an anonymous recovery mode. If okay. that makes sense. you gotta understand, like I, I got in recovery at twenty five. I'm fifty five. At that time, mm -hmm. I'm in my fifties. You know, I didn't. I didn't really. I mean, but what when I left Mobilize Recovery, I was like, man, I've really got to get out here. Yes. Really start living my recovery and the fact that yes. I have suffered and overcome and continue to deal with mental illness. It's okay. It's okay mm -hmm. for a guy to sit here on his podcast and say that he struggled with, with depression and that he struggled with PTSD. It's okay to say that, isn't it, Shakisha? It's okay, mm -hmm. right? And my wife's sitting there going, yeah, it's okay, Mike. Um, and so mobilized recovery really going through that process for me, and you can talk about what it did for you. Well, we know what yeah. it did, but it really gave me the confidence to get out here and, and, and really start doing some grassroots thing and to say, you know what? I don't care. So many people are dying. So many people are suffering in silence. And like, it was so cool. I never would have had this confidence, Chakisha, to um, like the overdose awareness walk. They were like, Mike, get your bullhorn and, and, and lead us. And I'm like, really me <laughs> you know and i had my bullhorn i'm like okay and like this for two years in a row i've had my bullhorn and i lead my community and i'm so i don't want to just say this i'm so honored to do that i lead my my community there were a hundred people at the overdose walk and i've got my bullhorn and like people are like, and you've never been to Greenville, such a beautiful city, Chikishi. I wish you could come, like, just to see I'm it. I'm, listen, I'm coming. It's such a beautiful, it's such a beautiful city. I mean, like, people are sitting on the sidewalks, and I'm coming through there, and I'm like, I'm saying their name, you know. I'm saying Austin, and I'm saying Andy, and I like people would give me a list, and I'd say, give me a list of your loved ones because when we walk through this city, yes, say their name. Right. Say their names. Say their names. Say We're, their names. Because uh, because how many of these people have had to like suffer in silence? In silence. Yeah, and I, and I think I think most of all, really, what that what mobilized recovery did was it gave us the confidence. I, and kudos to Ryan Hampton. I know he's a little. We love, listen, Ryan Hampton, Garrett Hayde. Garrett uh, Hayde. Thank you guys for, for, for starting this. It, Eric, it, 
Kacharski, that's his left hand. Aaron Kacharski, we love you. Aaron, Aaron Kacharski, all these folks yeah. that started this because it really, you know, I know sometimes it's like, for me, it, 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 it kind of irritates me sometimes because it gets a little political. But here's the thing. I think more than anything, we need to be united yes. in, in our message. And yep. we need to, and, and I know that Ryan, Ryan, I just want to say this with Chikisha and I hope, I don't know that he'll see this little podcast. Right. Uh, we're going to record it and we're going to send it out. But we just want to say we love you, Ryan Hampton. We love you. Um, I know that, I know that there's some stuff going on with, with Purdue Pharma that we had um, a, a really, just anyway, some tough things going on with, uh, with that that happened yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess they got shielded from any any future lawsuits. I, I, I don't know exactly the details of all this. Chikisha and I were talking about it, but right. but we're go- but it doesn't matter. And and I, I I'll just say it. I think we need to start getting really loud, man. Like this is a humanitarian. This is a civil rights movement, man. Yes, it is. I mean, I'm sorry. I think I, I think. Can you imagine? Like, I, I got into recovery in 1990. Can you imagine how much discrimination I faced? Like, I remember. I, I literally remember losing a job because they found out I was in recovery. I'm not kidding you. I know it's hard mm-hmm. to believe. I literally lost a job. Crazy. Yes, absolutely. So, I mean, you uh, didn't can tell. I just say this really quick. Yeah, I did. Yeah, your show, baby. Go for it. That um. The stigmas, like, I love how you refer to addiction as substance use disorder. Because, I, I mean, I know that, like you, you're still one in 12-step, right? Yeah. So you've been clean for a lot of years. And back when you were in recovery, then you could say addict, dopamine, pillhead, crackhead. Yeah. But I just think that a lot of those words and terminologies is preventing people from go- wanting to be transparent about how they feel about it. Like, I was a pillhead. I was um, a junkie, B-I-T-C-H. Yeah. I was doing different things, and people didn't understand that. It may, it took me 10 years. It, it took me four years after getting clean to come out public with my story. I just want to say that your transparency and our transparency saves lives. People have a responsibility to send the ladder back up. You can't just go through something and spend 30 years in that recovery bubble and, and successfully make it through and keep your mouth quiet. And there's people out here that might be like, um, well, well I've been clean for seven years, but I, I feel like I'm going to go. I can't do this. I can't go no more. And if there's people out here sharing those recovery layers, recovery is like an onion. If you're sharing those recovery layers, each layer, each layer, each year is a layer. Each situation is a layer. If you're sharing those recovery layers, people are going to look at that and be like, you can't be I went through the pink cloud phase and I thought I could save the world. But then when I realized that I had to get my kids back, I had to get my job back, I had to pay my rent. And you got me through that purpose because you shared that recovery. We got to keep sharing the recovery layer. Grocery store. Yeah. And, and, uh, it, yeah, and, and, and you're right, Chakisha. It was probably 20 something years before I came out and started, quote, recovering out loud. And one of the things. Right. Uh, and my my wife, she always watches the recording. She's on here. She's I see the little things go. But look, you know, one of the things I would I, I, I'll I'll share this real quick. I know we need to be winding it down, but 
Um, I'll share this real quick. I used to joke around and refer to myself as a crackhead. And I hate to even say that term, but that's the only way. I, I, I would just joke around about it. Or a kid would come in and meet, and I'd slap him on the back and say, oh, you're just old crackhead like me. I don't do that anymore. Uh, my wife, she doesn't like she doesn't like those negative labels. You know, she said, Mike, I don't want you to say that in, 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 in the house anymore. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I want to say that she's such a I, I don't know why I'm kind of getting a little but I, I appreciate her so much because she supports me so much in my recovery and and in, in my mental health walk because God COVID has been so hard for all of us. Mm-hmm. And uh, but, but what birth real quick, what birthed out of uh, mobilized recovery was something is, is the recovery advocacy project. And so Chikisha helps in New Jersey. I keep saying I'm New Jersey. I'm proud. She she helps with New Jersey, like with legislation, stuff like that. And you don't have to be like this. You don't have to be this guru. All you have to have have is just tell your story of hope and just advocate. Maybe maybe go up to Columbia. South, you know, I, I work with South Carolina. As a matter of fact, with Aaron, you mentioned Aaron Kacharski. And so that's kind of what, so mobilizes the event, but the actual organization is the recovery advocacy all program. People get together. We need to get bullhorns. Bullhorns, bullhorns, bullhorns. We need to start marching. I'm telling yeah. you, after this Purdue crap and everything, and yeah. I don't know the whole extent of that because I, I'm, I don't know enough about it to speak about it. Um, but it looks like Purdue is just going to get get. They're still going to be one of the richest families in America after they've killed all these people, a half million people. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll, I'll just say that. But and, and real quick, as we wind it up, I've got just a tidbit. So Chikisha's mom and my mom have the same birthday, July 24th. <laughs> I found that out. I was like, "How you doing?" <laughs> June. I call her June Bug, and and uh, my mom. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's kind. Of, that's kind of cool. I was just, like, "Oh, we got the same." But and just as we wind it up, um, I always ask this of my guests: like, what what does the future hold for Chikisha K. Ellis? I mean, what do you what do you see? Where are you going? I mean, is this something you've prayed about or listened to God about? I mean, where? Yeah, what's going to happen? I have, I have. You ready? You ready yeah. for this? I am. Tell me. I have a calling on my life, and I'm not the prodigal son. I'm not a perfect person. I say a few few curse words. I mean, I'm not perfect. Nobody's perfect. All right. We all we all sin and fall short, right? Yes. At the end of the day, I know that I have a high calling, and I have saints praying for me that are really anointed. I am working on a book, a, a big book, because I okay. know that with this small book, I wanted to get immerse people into how it all started, right? But through the ten years of my addiction, it was hell in a handbag. Right. So I'm writing. A, I'm preparing to write a book, <clears throat> a big book about. What I went through in addiction and how for, for people to have hope because people need hope more than anything in this world right now. People need hope, but they need water. 
like bottled water. People need hope like that. Yeah. So I'm writing a book and also some big news I found out. I'm on a coalition. It's in Washington, D.C., near Capitol Hill. It's called Stop Opioid Abuse. And they reached back out to me to be on a board um, with the FDA, with the United States FDA. And they want people, um, they want people to be like, I'm going to be like a patient advocate, basically. So I'm going to be like a person. Um, this is this whole thing is like a collaborative where um, I'm going to read from this paper because. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, tell, yeah, uh, and we and listen as you talk about that. That's right. wonderful, and and like maybe we'll we'll have you on again as you as as you grow. But yeah, the so the future holds a little Washington D.C. Yes, I want to be. I want to be on the board with the FDA. That's amazing. I mean, I am so proud of you and we love you. And I love what you're doing. I love what you're doing at the grocery store. Shout out again to what what is that grocery store Jeff again? Brown. Jeff Brown is the plug. Yeah, and 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 get this little recording out. Um, let's share it all over the place because yes. what a message of hope tonight and um todd you got anything for chatisha or what a what a wonderful show tonight no i just wanted to add in that um so i've got the link i've been flashing it for those that are watching live uh i've been flashing the link for uh chatisha's book but i'm also going to add that into the comments so if people want to buy that they can go to amazon and pick that up and for those that are listening to the podcast replay you can uh, you can look it up. It's a, a life of chaos. Uh, yeah. It's K A O S. K A Y O S. So uh, actually, can you can you just give give your book a plug real quick so I don't butcher it? I'd rather since you wrote it, <laughs> I'd rather you give the give the plug for it. Todd, one thing, Willows. There's there's make sure it's the one on Amazon with the five stars because there's two different listings on there. I want to make sure they have the right listing. Okay. It is. That's where I got it was Amazon. And I, I would love to, I really, and I'll say this about the book. I think that it would, it is a good, I'd like to talk to some, there's a lady here by the name. We're going to have her on the show. There's a lady here by the name of Martine Halu. Um, and she, she has the, it's called the, Oh, I forgot the name of her organization, but she does. Um, she does prevention. And I think that this book would be a wonderful book to really focus in on prevention so that people will think like when they turn their ankle or when they fall on their knee or or whatever, that they'll be very careful with these opioids. Very, very, very. I'm scared to death of them. I'll tell you. Um, I was telling some of the guys in the program, we were talking about what do we do? I was in the van with them today. And we were talking about, well, what do I do if I have to, if I get hurt and I have to take these? And I said, the first thing I do is I hand them to my wife. I tell, I tell my sponsor that, look, you know, and I've only had to take them one time in the last several years. Um, but I made sure, and I, yeah, I, I, and out of, out of 30 of them, Chikisha only took three, right? And I took a lot of ibuprofen and stuff. So, yeah. Can I say something really quick, Todd? Which yeah. you said we got to end this, but we need to educate people about family history because 
I was a victim of, um, because of my addiction running on both sides of my bloodline, that I was 27 and took a pill for the first time and loved it. So we got to also talk about that can be a big factor in people loving a pill or a drug for the first time. Family history is ravishing whole families and generations. Yeah, absolutely. So, but hey, Chikisha, we'll get back around to you. I want to. I want to know about the why. I hopefully I'll see you in Las Vegas again. Yeah. yeah so we had it virtual last year. This year we get yeah. to see each other. Hope everybody's yeah. vaccinated and ready to go. And and I am. Uh, and sorry, I don't mean to yeah. cut you off, Mike, but I just wanted to let everyone know. I put it in the comments. Your book is listed in the comments online. Um, and it's a life of chaos, K-A-Y-O-S. Yes. My opioid journey through hell, hope, and healing. And yes. It's a paperback. Fantastic. Take us out. Todd Askham Studios. Great show tonight. Share it, yeah. share it, share it. So 30 years ago, when I first came into recovery, we didn't have recovery housing. If someone was seeking recovery and maybe coming to meetings and didn't have anywhere to live, we'd basically try to help them find somewhere to live. And, and that's how it all started. It, we all started basically living together and keeping each other accountable um, in recovery. Now, as the years have gone through, um, it's basically turned into an industry. And with that industry, there comes a lot of challenges. Um, there's a, quite a bit of exploitation. Um, you know, you're dealing with a very, very vulnerable population. So that's the reason that we started the South Carolina Recovery Housing Association to help providers, to help other recovery housing operators, to help mentor them, um, to help to advocate for them. And one of the things that we did right off the bat was we started getting the locks on into all recovery housing in South Carolina. We were very fortunate to get a grant from the Clinton Foundation and some help from the Recovery Advocacy Project and Challenges Inc. and Favor Greenville. And, you know, all of them combined have helped the South Carolina Recovery Housing Association to begin getting the locks on into all recovery housing in South Carolina and to help train their residents on the use of naloxone. We believe that is the first standard uh, that we need to accomplish in South Carolina. Recovery housing operators are a very valuable resource to those suffering from substance use disorder in South Carolina and we want to advocate for them, train them, mentor, and just work with them with whatever needs that they may have. If you want to get in touch with us, it's screcoveryhousing.org.